word is the basis by which he forms his church. So when we're listening to a sermon, whenever listening to a sermon as an individual, we're always listening to it in company with others. And so what I want you to do for one minute only is, I know there are people here today who are visiting, I know there are people here who are returning, and I know there are people here who've recently joined us. See if you can see who they are, just say hello to the people around you. One minute. I was impressed that when I went to visit someone quite early yesterday the morning, uh, they said to me, oh, hang on a moment, my husband's uh, just on the cross train or he won't be long. I thought there's hope for Aldridge yet. A relay race, however, is a combination of individual performance and team effort. And that's true as an idea on the running track, the boardroom, parliament, church, community, and family. It's a combination of individual performance and team effort. And passing on the baton is a key team skill on the running track and in every sphere of leadership and influence. And today's scripture from 1 Samuel 18 illustrates that brilliantly. In this instance, it was executed badly. Here is a story of two men simultaneously anointed as king. Next one, Kevin, thank you. By chapter 18, David is present in Saul's world, in all his attractiveness, his ambiguity, his danger, and his power. Saul was himself anointed to be king, and he began very well. But then in terms of decisions made and personal character, he went downhill. By chapter 18, he is troubled, jealous, envious, and paranoid. And in terms of a relay race, Saul began well, but he fell and would not face his own shortcomings. And what happened to him was he simply stopped growing as a human being, a man in relation to God, and as a king. David, an unlikely shepherd boy warrior, emerges from nowhere, is successful, popular and celebrated so that Saul as a consequence becomes plagued by deep and growing hostility. David himself, let's not forget, was deeply human and over time he too made many mistakes. But there was something in the character of David, something about his humility that allowed him to place himself again under God's leadership. This humility was deeply rooted in David's own spirituality, which we see in the Psalms. And that's why David was a leader who over many, many years ran the relay race that God set him. And he managed many, though not all, of the handovers in that relay race that were put to him. And what we see in the passage of Scripture that we've had read by Pete this morning is that the essence of leadership and kingship is not personality or style, but character and integrity. And this is crucial to understanding what was going on for both David and Saul. David was to become a man known to be a man after God's heart. He learned from his mistakes and kept growing. He kept learning, repenting, and growing. He kept learning, repenting, 
and growing. He kept learning, repenting and growing. And King Saul fell apart. In all this, two words stand out regarding Saul. They're almost but not quite identical. One is the word jealousy and the other is the word envy. Jealousy is the fear that you will lose something, something that you'll miss out on, something valuable to you that someone might take away. And envy is the anger that we feel when someone has got something that we would like. Jealousy is fear and envy is anger. And when you have one, you almost certainly have the other. And of course, that's why these are called, envy is called one of the deadly sins. Jealousy is usually first with envy close behind. No wonder it was then that Shakespeare called jealousy the green-eyed monster. No wonder Dryden called envy the jaundice of the soul. King Saul is exhibit A of what happens when envy takes over. And the heart of the story is found in this passage in verses 5 to 12. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and they raised up a little ditty. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And Saul was galled. He was livid. He was angry. What more can he get but my kingdom? And from that time on, it says, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, it says, an evil spirit from God uh, came upon forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house, and while David was playing his harp, he threw his spear twice as if to kill him. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David. His anointing was on David. And he left Saul. <clears throat> what a tragic picture it is of someone set apart by God and by God's people for leadership. And by their own doing and the damage of their own heart their good work is destroyed. There is, however, good news for envious people. Two times in the New Testament, Matthew 27 and Mark 15, it is said that Jesus was delivered over to be crucified because of the envy of the religious leaders. Their anger and fear led them ultimately to murder. There's good news in this, but how can that be? Jesus knows what it is to be rejected, hated, scorned, pursued, reviled, and mocked by those who saw him as a threat. The Lord in heaven knows what it is to walk on earth and be misunderstood, to have your motives questioned and your words 
twisted into lies. Jesus knows all about it. He knows how hard it is to forgive those who mistreat you. And when we go to him, we will not be turned away. He knows what we have gone through, for he himself has experienced the very same. Here is the gospel truth, that Jesus Christ died so that the very people who put him to death might be forgiven through deep repentance and through turning to Christ as Saviour and as their Lord. If they can be forgiven, then all of us can be forgiven. There is hope even for the worst and most broken of us because Jesus has died. The innocent for the guilty, the good for the bad. The just for the unjust, the sinless for the sinful. And if you have the slightest sense that you are a person who for whatever is in need of God's forgiveness for your sins, even for the sin of jealousy and envy, Come to Christ now. He will not turn you away. He has been to the cross. He already died. And your sins and mine can be forgiven. For all of us, I wish I could stand up here Sunday by Sunday and simply tell you that if you will come to Christ, your life will be a total dottle. It will be a period of endless bliss from which you will go around with a permanent beatific smile upon your face. There are some preachers that get away with hinting at that. But it's a lie. If you decide to follow Jesus, it will not be easy. If you decide to follow Jesus, what happened to him can happen to you. And on Sunday evening next, not tonight, but Sunday evening next, Helen Gilbert will talk to us about her time in Nigeria. And she will tell us how in the persecuted church those who are loyal to the things of God lose their life and they witness their mummies and daddies being hacked to death in front of them. It is a costly thing to follow the Lord Jesus. David is only one example of how the godly suffer at the hands of jealous men. And I suppose the ultimate lesson is this. The next time that you defeat Goliath... and you hear the crowd singing your praises, please don't let it go to your head. Somewhere in the shadows, there is a saw lurking about. There's a wider lesson here concerning leadership. I think it's really important for us as God's family not to ignore this today. Next one, please. The truth is that when both of these men were victorious in battle, both of them received adulation. But Saul could only see that they said more in terms of praise for David and he despised him. If anyone who is a leader or person of influence in society, church or community, this is a dire warning. Those who have influence, those who are leaders, must be willing to pay their part in giving away their influence to others. 
on passing on their authority and their mantle to the next generation of leaders, to hold on to leadership and influence involves denying our Lord himself. I really did say that. To hold on to our influence and leadership involves denying our Lord himself. So let's think about what that means. Here at APC, there are many, many who have and continue to serve amongst us for a long, long time. Each one of us, and I number myself in this, must give up what we have been and what we have done. We must give up our roles, our influence, and our leadership. Bear with me. Like Jesus... We must empower others as we disciple them and release them into discipleship, leadership, ministry and mission. And we must not do so insisting that they lead as we have led, but that they embrace the leadership and influence required for a very different world. Twice in my life, I have been in positions of significant authority and leadership. And twice I was encouraged to stand and make myself available for the next promotion coming up. Twice I declined. Not for the want of courage, not even for the want of ambition, but because I believed that were those coming up behind me who needed to embrace the new future that that context and that culture required. I know I could have done those jobs that were being asked of me, but that was not the point. The world that I was in, with those coming up alongside me, was a changing world. Others needed to take the baton and lead forward into uncharted territory. And lest you think I'm more holy than the rest, let me tell you this. Speaking honestly, there have been days when I have wondered, what if? What if I had stepped forward to that greater responsibility, leadership and influence? But I can say this, my what-ifs are normally very short-lived. I never wanted to be a King Saul. I never wanted to be embittered that others were called to do what I would have enjoyed having for myself. My delight, my passion, is seeing others embrace the call that God has placed upon them. It's for that reason that with the uh, approval of others, I'm starting to lead a small group in the new year. This group will be intended to exist for two years, and work itself out of existence. It will be one of our small groups, but it will have a time limit upon it. It will exist for that period with the express intention to grow disciples to maturity and develop new leaders. Whether or not that group has any success, it will stop after two years, hopefully because people have been given away to lead new ministries. And if it has failed to deliver on that, it deserves to close. I want to say that I'm looking, there's already five of us, I'm looking for new folk 
who are willing to come together for a limited period to grow together in Christ as disciples into deep maturity, to be released into your gifts, and to be the future leaders of this church. Will you take a focused step of faith, and will you join us? With the same motivation, I recently looked around our church council and said that given the vast experience present in that particular setting, I looked to each and every one to be discipling personally, one-to-one, three people in our church. The council did look back a little quizzically, but I meant it. So council, who among you will take that step of faith and give yourself over these coming months to leading others and to releasing them into their future ministry? So I do speak to all our elders before our younger members. I do so, I underline this, thankful for your many years of service here. And I ask you to heed the lessons of Saul. Avoid his mistakes and give yourself now to developing your successes. And unlike Saul, continue to grow yourself. You would not be someone who in doing this is being rejected. You are being recommissioned to partner younger Christians to see them grow. You would not become demoted, but instead you would release others into leadership. To you, our elders, I say, will you take that step of faith in the coming months and years? And as I close, I speak to those who are the Davids in our midst. Those who must become the future of this parish and elsewhere. You may be a growing Christian individually, but you may also be very reluctant to get too involved. Well, we now know that about that within our ministries at APC, they're led or helped by a proportion of between 40 and 45% of our congregation. They are to be found as people in all age groups, and we are thankful for each and every one. And whilst we are committed to exploring how at this time APC might do less and do it well, at least for a season, will you, the Davids in our congregation, will you please step forward in the next six months so as to be helped to grow and become engaged not only as active disciples of Christ here and elsewhere, but to be the future leadership of our parish. Will you step forward, you in your own generation, and take that step of faith? The story of David that we've examined these past eight weeks ends today, but it's been set before us as a paradigm of bold faith I think Pete talked about this last week. Bold faith, but in an arena of fear. David staked his life on the power of the living God. And I suppose I'm saying today, to those who have served well for decades, and to those who may step up to the future, will you now take a step of faith and do the same? God is placing the future of our ministry 
at your feet. Will you, the upcoming generations, see the baton, accept it, and run the next lap for Jesus' sake? Amen. Let's be 